0: Gracious God, grant us the strength to seek the truth, come whence it may, cost what it will. Amen. Last uh, Thursday, Andy came by my office. Andy's just, ter- as you all know, a terrific, terrific guy, wonderful friend. Andy came by and said, Is there anything I can do to help you out this week? And I said, How about a sermon? He's, he's declined to pinch hit for me today. A uh, f- few preparatory comments before we, I get to mention something about the lessons. Uh, Pentecost is one of my favorite days in the whole year, so I'm gonna make some comments about Pentecost. But before I get there, you know the play Hamilton. Hamilton sings very al- early on in there. He's young, scrappy, and hungry, and he's gonna take a shot. Well, I'm not so young. I'm not hungry anymore, I still think I'm scrappy, (laughs) and I've had my shot, and I've had my shot. And my shot has been an undreamt dream come true. Who would ever thought it, as I mentioned last Friday, you know, we arrived on these shores as refugees. My passport has a stamp on it that says refugee. Who would ever imagine that somebody who was a refugee would become the rector of St. John's Church sitting across the street from the White House. I think only in the good America can that happen. And I think that's the privilege of being part of the United States. I love this country and I love the goodness of this country. And it can only happen in a place like the United States of America. I've had the privilege of meeting seven presidents and even got the – I don't like royalty too much, but I got to shake the Queen's hand one time here in Washington, D.C., over at the White House. And yes, I did watch the wedding yesterday. Even though I'm not crazy about royalty, but I uh, had a lot of privileges. Not the least of which is to be the clergy leader, part of the clergy leadership of this church. I've loved my years here. We've had some rough times. We've had a lot, a lot of good times, and I have been um, blessed with the opportunity to be the rector of this church. When I was ordained, I was ordained. Um, in 1978, and while you're being ordained, they ask you a number of questions, and most of the clergy answer, "I will with God's help," with their fingers crossed. And the two of the questions that I answered with my fingers crossed was one of them was said, "Will you be guided by the direction and leadership of the bishop?" I've never been guided by the direction and wisdom of the bishop, so I said, "I will with God's help." And they also asked, "Will you be a wholesome example example to your people?" Now, I want to tell you that two weeks before my ordination, about three weeks before my ordination, I had just met Lou, who becomes my wife. And I want to tell you, wholesome was not the way that I would have described myself in those days. I think you could say, lust was in my heart. But I've tried to become a wholesome example for the gospel. Now, what I did take seriously, what I did take seriously in that ordination vows was that we would do everything within our power to build up the family of God, the church, to build up the family of God. And I took that very seriously. I took that to heart. When I came here in 1994, I inherited a very strong, powerful church. John Harper, I think, had done a fabulous job for 30 years as the director of this church. It was a strong, powerful church. It was the only lively church left in downtown Washington, bar none. And my task was to make sure that we grew in strength. My task was to make sure that we build up the family of God. And my task has been all along to try to build that family, the, the task that we had before us in a way that became broader, more inclusive than what it was perceived to be. And I believe that to have been my task. I don't know if we ever got broad enough, to be honest with you. I don't know how broad the church can be. I don't know what the boundaries of that are but we gave it a good effort, and I want to tell you from the best of, tell you this as honestly as I can, that I've tried to do it the very best of my abilities. I've tried to do it to the best of my abilities with all my energy, with the grace of God, and with your ministry and your presence. All of a sudden I have found myself with a whole bunch of clergy who are now my friends. All of a sudden, the last couple of months, I've been getting a ton of emails and phone calls from clergy across the country who want to talk about, uh, "Oh, we're so glad," I'm "Not so glad." Well, we're so sorry that you're leaving St. John's Church. You know, it's a little bit of BS. They're delighted that I'm leaving St. John's Church. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I have all these newfound friends who are very interested in St. John's Church because they can see themselves here. So I tell each and every one of them, and I said, you know, you don't talk to me. I'm not involved in the church. I don't know anything about the church, and I mean it. But I say, get in line. You need to get in line, and get in line because this is the best job in the Episcopal Church. Absolutely the best congregation in the Episcopal Church. And I said, and you would be a lucky man or a woman to be chosen as rector of this church. And I gave him just one heads up. The other day, I had uh, lunch with Hillary West, who was the chair of the search committee. And I said to Hillary, I said, Hillary, they just opened the thing um, uh, where you're invited to do some sort of a survey, to respond to a survey. And I said, Hillary, have you all had any responses? And she said, this is Thursday. It opens on Monday. Yes, we've had about 185 responses. And I thought to myself, maybe I should warn all these good people and tell them, If you don't want to be in an opinionated church, don't put your name in at St. John's Church. These are strong, smart people. And if you're afraid of that, do not put your name in there. It has been the blessing of a lifetime to be with you. Can we talk about the gospel? We are here today to say my goodbye to you. Hopefully you're saying your goodbye to me. But we're also here to worship God. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? That's the point of today, to worship God. And today is Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit descends on a whole group of people and it changes the way that the world sees itself. If we can review it very quickly, the events of Pentecost is that the disciples who are now afraid, Jesus has left them. Remember last Sunday we remembered the ascension event, which is Jesus departs like an IBM missile, like an interballistic ballistic missile, shoots up into heaven, wherever heaven happens to be, and they're left alone and they gather over in Jerusalem and they're all, do- all they can do is pray. They're gathered for prayer. Nothing bad with prayer, we do it every Sunday morning here at St. John's Church, but it's not in lo- enough in my, in my, in my sense and so they're gathered there and all of a sudden they're too scared to be able to go outside, they're too scared to be able to preach, they're too weak, they're too weak to be able to heal, they're too, they're, they're too confused to be able to lead, so they're waiting there and all of a sudden what happens is what happens for all of us in the summertime and we've had that experience here. We've all have had that experience where there's a a storm that's coming up. We've had about seven days of storms here in Washington, D.C. and you and I know how it comes. You're standing there in the room, the windows are open and there's a slight breeze that starts coming through. There's a slight breeze that starts coming through the room and it feels good. And you start thinking, oh my God, there's the power of a storm. The power of the storm is coming and it's such a good feeling. And sure enough, you feel that the storm, for them, the wind starts blowing a little harder and starts turning everything out in the room and wind of fire start coming down from heaven lighting upon all of them winds and the fire starts lighting on all of them and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit now I want you to invite you to consider this that this is not only a historical event it is a historical event in my opinion it took place recorded in some fashion by the gospel or Luke but it's not only a historical event and the one who gives us a hint about this is over there is a, a portrait, and a painting that I saw at the Prado in Madrid. Have you ever been to the Prado in Madrid? Great, great museum. And there is a painting by El Greco. And the name of the painting is Pentecost. And you have in Pentecost all of the disciples staring up towards heaven with a dove that is sending down. Everybody's got a little bit of fire on top of their head like this. And there's only one. There's only one of those gathered there who's not looking up towards that dove, looking up towards heaven. That person is looking at you, the visitor. That person is looking at you, staring you in the eye, and he has a wry smile on his face. And he's almost like laughing at himself, and he's looking at you, almost asking the question, can you believe I'm part of this? Can you believe that I'm sitting here with all of these disciples? Can you believe that I'm part of this Pentecost experience? The Pentecost experience is a historical event, but I want to tell you, it is also an event for today. The spirit floats here. We just sang it. Sweet, sweet spirit in this place. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And the reason for it is because you've had experience of the power of the spirit. You have felt the spirit in your life, and somewhere along the line, you got that flame. Now, I'm not Baptist enough to stop the servant and ask you to look at your neighbor sitting next to you. But if you were to stop today and look at your neighbor, you too would recognize a flame on top of their heads. Because every one of us has been touched by the Holy Spirit. And the reason we are gathered here here, is that we are touched by the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do things that people believe could not be done. I'll tell you a couple of miracles. For the past 24 years, I've been trying to get John Ireland to sing something out of Levas, lift every voice and sing. And this morning, I saw John Ireland singing a hymn out of Levis. John, the Holy Spirit has hit you. My friend Ron Fletcher hates hymns in church. Now, Ron, I didn't hear you or saw you singing earlier this morning but we've got a handful of more hymns for you to have an opportunity. And when you start singing, I know that that spirit will be on top of you. The disciples, who were not able to do anything, are now able to do a lot. They're able to bounce right out of that room and they go out and they start speaking and everybody understands everybody else. I was reading a book about uh, Spanish history not too long ago, and it's a book about the period of Spanish conquest beginning in 1492. And one of the episodes in this particular book is by one of the bishops of the Roman Catholic Church who approaches Queen Isabella and brings to Queen Isabella the the newly formed grammar book for the Spanish language. It's the first grammar book in the Spanish language, and he presents it to Queen Isabella, and it's a grammar language of the vernacular, and he presents the, the, the grammar book to Isabella, and Isabella says, what's this good for? Why do we need this? And he says, we need to carry this because we want those people that we're going to colonize to be able to understand what we're saying. In a sense, he was saying, the language we carry is the language of the empire. What I love about Pentecost is a complete reversal of that. Everybody's able to understand everybody else. There is no primary language. There is no primary way of understanding each other. There is no single way. Every language in this world is a holy language. Every language in this world is powerful language. And we ought to respect it in such a manner. And I want to tell you, my message for you today is uh, from this particular passage is this. We need a Pentecost in the United States today. We need a Pentecost. We need a Pentecost so that we can understand each other. So that we can listen to each other. So that we can understand, with some civility, how we're speaking to each other. We have just completely broken down. You and I both know it. We don't speak to each other, we shout at each other. We don't speak to each other, we accuse each other. We don't speak to each other, we point a finger at each other. And I want to tell you, that's not the way of a good country. That is not the way of a good society. I think it starts with us. It starts here in the church. How we speak to each other will determine how we will speak in public. How we will be able to understand each other, to listen to each other that we may be able to listen and understand and respect each other through the power of the Spirit. One of the great miracles of the Acts of the Apostle, the book of the Acts of the Apostle, particularly this event of Pentecost, is that they're able to understand each other without having to go and learn another language, paying attention, respecting the dignity of every, every human being, and knowing that somebody, everybody, has something important to add to the conversation. When we first came to Washington, D.C., Mary Jo Beerline, who was part of the search committee, was also the realtor that took us around to look for uh, the purchase of a rectory for the church where we could live. And we finally landed on the neighborhood where the church bought the, the rectory. And one of the things I remember her saying as we were searching for that, he says, this is a mixed neighborhood Democrats and Republicans live in this neighborhood. <laughs> Move to St. John's Church. One of the things I've loved about this church is one thing, nobody has ever said to me in my 24 years that I should never preach on a particular subject. That is not common in the Episcopal Church. Two, We have checked our partisan politics at the door of the church. Walk through the doors of the church and believe that in the eyes of God, we are all a unit of God's grace. Unprecedented, irrepeatable and irreplaceable and loved by God. And that everyone is entitled of the respect that goes with that privilege. There are three things that happen to people who are touched by the power of the spirit. One of them is this, you will be changed. You are changed. I've said this a million times, you can come to Jesus as you are, but once Jesus touches you, you can't stay as you are. You have to change. The second one is this, when the Spirit touches you, you will have a mission. You will have a task. I don't know what it is for you. You need to learn that for yourself. You have asked me, all of you have asked me, what are you gonna do after you retire? I have no idea. But I trust that God will send me a signal. I trust that God will give me a sign to do something on behalf of God. I only pray, and I've prayed fervently, please, don't make it a full-time job. (laughs) If you're touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third thing happens. You want to gather with people who are touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called the church. It's why we gather here. It's why we worship God, because we have been all touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we gather in the name of God, trusting in the Spirit here at St. John's Church, the very best congregation in the Episcopal Church. Amen.